This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 27, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Hertz partners with BP to build out an EV charging network. Vice President Harris vows to work with South Korea on its EV concerns. And a Carvana executive faces criminal charges in Illinois. Plus, we'll take a deeper look at the Detroit Auto Show and whether there's still value in events of its kind for automakers, dealers, and consumers. Dealers don't have vehicles like they used to, so you cannot go in and do all this. And that's why the auto show is important. And, you know, it's Detroit. We need an auto show. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Rental car company Hertz is linking up with oil giant BP to build out a network of charging stations in the U.S., the companies announced a memorandum of understanding today, which aligns with BP's goal of operating more than 100,000 chargers by 2030, 90% of which will be fast charging. Hertz plans to electrify a quarter of its rental fleet by the end of 2024. The deal with BP comes a week after it agreed to buy as many as 175,000 EVs from General Motors, following similar purchase agreements for battery-powered models from Tesla and Polestar. Hertz hopes to spur EV rentals by making it easier to find a charging station. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has approved electric vehicle charging infrastructure plans for all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico, ahead of its September 30th deadline. Today's announcement unlocks more than $1.5 billion in funding through next year to build EV chargers across roughly 75,000 miles of U.S. highways. The Biden administration is also trying to smooth things over with South Korea, which is upset about new EV tax incentives in the U.S. The credits are now available only for EVs made in North America, which disadvantages Korean brands such as Hyundai and Kia. Vice President Kamala Harris is vowing to work with South Korea to resolve a trade dispute related to those new provisions. Harris was in Tokyo today for former Japanese leader Shinzo Abe's funeral, during the visit, she told South Korean Prime Minister Han Duk-soo that she understood his country's concerns about the tax incentives. According to a U.S. readout, they, quote, pledged to consult as the law is implemented. While EVs continue to get most of the attention on the world stage, progress is also being made on another form of carbon-free driving. It seems more suppliers are on board with Toyota's hydrogen crusade, not hydrogen fuel cells, but combustion engines that use hydrogen instead of gasoline. The world's largest automaker has been something of a lone voice in the wilderness touting the concept of hydrogen-burning engines. Now, U.S. turbocharging giant Borg Warner and Japanese piston ring specialist Recon Corporation are both ramping up development of technologies for hydrogen combustion vehicles. A growing list of companies is warming to the idea. They include Daimler, Man Truck and Bus, engine maker Cummins, and powertrain specialist AVL. In Japan, Yamaha Motor is looking at it for potential use in motorcycles and in all-terrain runabouts. 
And a Carvana executive is facing dozens of criminal charges tied to the company's alleged motor vehicle licensing and records violations in Illinois. In mid-May, the Illinois Secretary of State filed charges against Paul Bro, who was identified on Carvana's investor relations website as a vice president and the company's general counsel since August 2015. Illinois court records show regulatory officials charged Bro with 27 counts of failure to transfer vehicle titles by a dealership and 50 counts of improper use of titling and registration. Bro denies any wrongdoing. He has been ordered to appear in an Illinois court on November 1st. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, in a bit, we're going to dive into the big takeaways of this year's Detroit Auto Show. But first, the organizers are saying they won't release attendance numbers for this year's event. What do you make of that? It's a bad sign. You know, this was the year that the show really pivoted to a focus on the consumer more so than the industry. Of course, there's sort of like two separate events that happen to be at the same place with a lot of the same sheet metal. But there was really an effort to draw more of the public down, give them more, you know, fun ways to see vehicles. And it, it looks like they just didn't turn out. If the numbers were decent at all, they probably would have released them. They always have in the past. You know, back in the day when it was a wintertime show, it used to draw about a million people a year, or at least close to that. You know, this year they were hoping for 500,000 or so and must have come up well short. Well, coming up, the Detroit Auto Show might be over, but there's still plenty of talk about what the show will look like in the future and about the changing role of auto shows in general. Do they still offer real value in the industry? We'll take a deeper look at those questions next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The 2022 Detroit Auto Show's return after a three-year hiatus marked the first event of its kind in the Motor City in the COVID era. It's also a new era for auto shows in other ways. The world has changed a lot in three years. Marketing strategies and calculations are different, and many dealerships don't even have inventory to sell in the first place. Organizers of this year's show in Detroit say those things are all reshaping the role of auto shows and the value they can provide for automakers, dealers, and consumers. Our own Jake Neer spoke with attendees to find out what value they hope to find among the displays and hands-on experiences. 
he reports that, at least among the people willing to fork over the price of admission, everyone found something that would benefit them and the automakers that bothered to show up. For the first time anyone around here can remember, auto show organizers are not sharing attendance numbers. The consensus seems to be that, like the number of automakers participating, the audience was thinner than in years past, and there's no doubt it all had a really different feel. The glitzy two-story displays were just about all done. You could see the back wall as soon as you walked in. What was more likely to grab your attention were the roller coaster like tracks lunging up from the displays into the rafters. Ford, Jeep, and Ram all had indoor test tracks to show off the steep angles their new vehicles could ascend and descend. I caught up with a group of attendees who had just emerged from the Camp Jeep test track. So you guys just got off the Camp Jeep uh, sort of experience here. What did you guys think? It was awesome. We rode in the Gladiator. It had the doors off with some mesh protection to leave, uh, keep you in there. It was impressive. Are you guys interested in Jeeps at, uh, you know, already? Uh, is it something that, that this changes your perspective on Jeeps? Or? This actually changed my perspective because they did a little survey coming in, like how much do you like Jeeps? And I said, I don't really like Jeeps. I don't care for a Chrysler vehicle, but after driving on this, it was cool. I was, it was impressive. I didn't realize a Jeep could do that. Did you catch that reference to a survey there? Before you get to hop into a Jeep and get your heart racing, the automaker asks you to fork over your email address, scan your driver's license, choose models that you're interested in learning about, rate your interest in the brand, and rate how likely you are to recommend it to someone else. You do those ratings before and after you ride. That data is gold for Jeep's marketing team and its dealers. And based on the sprawling lines that I saw during one of the busiest days of the auto show, Jeep and other automakers with these so-called activations, they got a lot of gold, including from me, despite some reservations. All right, well, go easy on me. I gotta admit, I'm a little nervous. I, uh, I don't like heights, so we'll see how this goes. Okay, so we're in the Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon. So now um, we're going to go up the hill. So the traction hill is uh, 40 degrees. So we're going to just apply a little of throttle. Oh my rest. God. <laughs> Man. Take it up nice and gently. And we are in the rafters right now. Yeah. So on the way down, it's the same angle. It'll just feel a little bit steeper. Though this comes with oh. um, hill descent, I'm actually just using it, the brake. Wow. All right, I did it. My palms sweated a little bit. Did That's you? okay. Was it, was it that bad, was it? <laughs> it really wasn't. No, that was actually really great. After conquering Camp Jeep, I wandered over to the other monster hill in the middle of the convention hall where Ford was showing off what Jeep rival Bronco can do off-road, as well as the explosive acceleration of its F-150 Lightnings. That's where I met Zane, Brandon, and Austin. Uh, okay, so you guys just got off the uh, the F-150 here uh, for the test track. What do you guys think of the experience? It wasn't the first EV I've been in. I wasn't my cousin's Tesla, so I kind of knew what to expect. But for a pickup version of, you know, an electric sedan, you know, it was the same experience and something that weighs probably another 4,000 pounds extra. So it was, it was pretty neat. And that review carries some extra weight when you find out where these guys work. Are you guys in the auto industry or? Yeah, we're all uh, GM. Got it, got it. And, and you were riding in the Ford, huh? <laughs> I won't tell anyone except through the podcast. It's okay, it's okay. Despite being impressed by the F-150 Lightning, 
Zane told me something I heard over and over from those I spoke with during the auto show, serious lingering reservations about electric vehicles. I wouldn't want to own one just because I don't want to deal with the electric bill going through the roof and then what if there's a power outage? How am I going to charge my car to get to work? That's also what I heard from Bobby and Ken, who had both traveled almost three hours on the road from Cleveland to check out the auto show this year. They're also skeptical of EVs. If they force us to buy them, then I'll get one, but I have no interest in buying any electric car at this point. And what is it that, that's keeping you from that? Is there something specific or is it just the feel? Um, I just think a lot of them, well, some of the newer ones are look pretty nice, but a lot of them were kind of funny looking at first, I thought. I can find a gas station anywhere. I don't have to worry about charging my car for half an hour or however long it takes. I just like the convenience of being able to just fill up my car with gas and go. For me, it's just the not knowing enough about them, you know, that scares me off. Um, are, are you hoping for, for more information about EVs while you're yeah, here? I, I, I mean, like I was just over at the Toyota booth and, and watching their presentation and it was interesting. Because like I said, I just don't know no, enough about them. That's another trend I noticed. Even folks who are skeptical about the EV revolution have some degree of curiosity about these vehicles. And there was plenty at the Detroit show suggesting that automakers recognize that curiosity and want to convert the non-believers. Chevy and Volkswagen had test drives available outside of the convention center. Cadillac had an immersive EV presentation inside a giant cube thing. And the education aspect of the show was just in full force. And that part of it was even more important for people like Debbie and Tom of Jackson, Michigan, who don't need to be convinced to want an EV. I saw them hovering around the newly introduced Chevy Equinox EV, which GM says will start around 30 grand, a possible game changer for the adoption of electric vehicles. Debbie and Tom were peppering the Chevy representative guy with questions, and I wanted to know what those questions were and why they were so interested. We currently have two Chevy Equinox that are leased, uh, both due back next year, and that's coming out in the fall of 23. So we uh, we like the cars we have, so we thought we'd look at that. Electric is the future and we want to participate. Debbie and Tom say there's just no way they'd be able to get so much information about the vehicles they're interested in other than on the auto show floor, and definitely not under the pressure of a dealership visit, they said especially now when inventory is so low. Dealers don't have vehicles like they used to, so you cannot go in and do all this, and that's why the auto show is important. And, you know, it's Detroit. We need an auto show. For Automotive News, I'm Jake Neer in Detroit. Jake Neer is Automotive News Coordinating Producer for Audio. You can find all of our coverage of this year's Detroit Auto Show at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. You can get the latest news on electrification, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with the head of a new company that made a big debut at this year's Detroit Auto Show. We'll hear from Harbinger CEO, John Harris. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.